0: This morning um, we are going to be jumping around, so I encourage you grab your Bibles this morning. Uh, if you have a seatback Bible, the page numbers are going to be up. And I know usually I give you like here we're going to be in this passage today. We're bouncing around, so grab a Bible. Page numbers are going to be on the screen um, so you can follow along with me. Um, while you're grabbing those and getting set, if you want to open up, you can. The first one you can open up to is Hebrews 10. Uh, Hebrews 10 is where we're going to start, uh, but then like I said, we're going to be all over the place this morning. And while you're setting up, I'd like to thank. Uh, our worship team, our worship band, um, gives of their gifts and abilities and uh, is intentional with the, the songs that are played. They, they give, they come early, they practice, they want to help us not only just sing songs about God, but to enter into the presence of God to help us. Uh, to worship to truly be able to slow down and focus and hear from god and 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 enter in and to be able to set things aside so that we can engage with god and so uh everybody on the worship band thank you very much if you uh would like to join the worship team if you would like to sing you play an instrument uh you'd like to be involved in some way we'd love to have you so if you want to use the connect cards under the seat back around you you could circle worship team on the back um and then uh we'll put you in touch with daniel and you and daniel can figure those things out. So. I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump in and get going. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather, to celebrate you, to hear from you, to worship you, and to engage with you. God, we come here this morning. um, We come here this morning because we want to. Be built up and strengthened and encouraged and to hear from you and to be reminded that yes we live in a fallen hard exhausting world but that there is hope and purpose and grace and mercy to be had for however much we know of you for however long we have been walking with you there is more to know there is longer to walk there is deeper and more of you to know and God that's what we want we want to know you more and more deeper and deeper. God, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to comprehend and hearts to believe and hands and feet to respond to what you are calling us to do and who you are calling us to be as the lights of the world you have made us to be. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we've been in a series the uh, last few weeks now where we are talking about us. We're talking about us as a church, uh, not only globally, Big C Church, but really locally, us as Christian Fellowship Free Church, What, who we are, what we believe, what we are striving to be as a community, and a look at really what makes us tick. And the thing we've been using as the jumping off point is uh, our church covenant. It's a document that really sums up all the things that we love and believe, the things that unite us as a people. and so. The document, we've been looking at it for the last few weeks, and so the first opening line reminds us that we are here by the grace of God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. And we celebrate and we rejoice in that, and we respond to that reality in the way that we live as individuals and as a community. And then last week we talked about and we saw in action what it means to respond to God's grace in our lives in baptism. And what it means to live in light of our baptism, an external response to the internal work that God has done in our lives. And so um, really, as we've looked at these opening lines, these opening sentences of the church uh, covenant, it's really been more theological concepts, really been a little bit headier and a little bit stuff that, yes, we know, yes, we believe, but it hasn't been maybe as, as tangible. Outside of, yes, we are called to respond to what God is doing in us, and yes, we are called to respond in baptism, but what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like to respond? And so today we're going to take a little bit more look at what does it mean to be committed to community and grow in community and pursue strengthening this community. So I'm going to read through the church covenant one more time, and you guys are going to get real familiar with this thing by the time we're done with this series Um, And then we'll focus on the section that we are going to talk about this morning. So the church covenant uh, says this. We recognize God's grace in saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We affirm our covenant with God and each other to grow in becoming like Christ and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of the resurrected life. We will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another in deed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. We will submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. We request to be accountable in our pursuit of biblical discipleship and welcome exhortation to repent of sin and align our lives with the gospel. We understand that unrepentant and persistent sin grieves the Lord and will lead to the exclusion from this congregation. If we leave this congregation, we will do so for for biblical reasons and in timely and honest communication with the elders and members of the church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community. And the world, as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands, we will uphold this church's doctrine, practices, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. The Bible isn't always super clear on the mechanics of how certain things should play out there's not a specific service order in scripture or a set list an order of songs that we are supposed to play every week we aren't going to find a verse that necessarily explicitly tells us you know should i take this job should i move here should i do this the bible is not a magic eight ball that we can just flip open to a page and land on an answer to our problems but we do have in scripture a an array of verses that encourage describe and direct us in how we are to live in community as brothers and sisters, as well as engage with the community outside of the church. Like I said, this document uh, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, this document was written by my predecessor, by, by pastor Sergey um, about 20 years ago, something like that. And I am so thankful uh, to Sergey for many aspects of the thriving community of CF and this document being one of those. And because I know Sergey um, and I consider him a friend, it does not surprise me when I read this, and, and I know that he wrote this, it does not surprise me to know that as he gets to the section, the section we're going to look at today, that is geared around community, and what does it mean to actually live these things out, that Sergei just pulled straight from Scripture, from some of these lines. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are five uh, sentences, five directives that we are committing to as a church, that all of them come straight from scrip- scripture. And so we're going to look at those this morning. The bulk of our time are going to be on the first two, but we will hit all five. Um, and so it's that section that says, we will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another indeed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. And so like I said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to bounce around this morning. Um, I put page numbers up on the, that'll be the seatback Bibles around you. Uh, So uh, I hope that you'll be able to follow along with me. And I want you to see that these things come from Scripture, who we are, what we believe, the things that tie us together. We're not just making it up, but we are in uh, and coming from Scripture. And so this first one, we will not neglect to meet together, comes uh, from Hebrews 10.25. And it's actually the middle of the sentence that begins in the verse before it. So Hebrews 10.24 reads and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near there were some that were that considered the gathering of the saints flippantly they weren't enjoying it they weren't celebrating it they weren't engaging with it they weren't making it a priority it was an optional thing but in reality the gathering of the family of God is not an optional thing. It is an essential thing. It cannot be optional. We are the body of Christ. How are you going to be part of the body if you aren't part of the body physically? When you go to the barber shop and you get a haircut, they cut the hair off and it falls to the floor, and what happens? Then when you're done, they'll sweep it up and, and it gets thrown away. Why? Because that hair is dead, essentially. It's not going to continue to grow. It's not useful for anything. It's got no more life to it. Why? Because it was cut off from the body. It's been disconnected. If you are disconnected from the body, you aren't going to grow. This notion that you can be a thriving Christian without being connected to a local church body doesn't make any sense, doesn't have any life to it. When you disconnect from the body of believers, you are stunting your growth as a Christian. We are at our best We are thriving when we are connected to one another in unity. And one of the ways to connect in unity is to actually be together. There is no substitute for showing up in person. And I realize that we are not too far along removed from the COVID days. We still have a camera. We still live stream our services. But that does not replace actually showing up in person. If there's an issue, an emergency, a specific reason why you can't be here, that's different. What we're talking about here is neglecting, intentionally choosing. The alarm clock goes off and it's just, I don't want to. And Look, this is not a guilt thing. This is not, I'm trying to make you feel bad so you come to church more often. Rather, scripture tells us what is best, how to live that abundant life that God told us, that Jesus told us he was giving us in John 10. 10. I come to give them life and life abundant, life in excess, life thriving. Scripture gives us clear instruction in how to walk into that kind of life scripture tells us what is best and how to get the most out of life and as your pastor it is my job my responsibility to point you to scripture to say this is how to get the best most life-giving life you can have in acts 2 as the church begins together we see what it looked like in that day practically it says in acts 2 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then later on, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day the, those who were being saved. They were together. They were engaged in one another's lives. And we don't, you know, we studied the book of Acts all throughout last year. And it, the early church had its issues, had its problems. That's why we have most of the New Testament, because it was not perfect by any means. But what the early church did was make a, made a choice to say we are going to engage together. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to have meals together. We're going to pray together. We're going to be together because there's something about when the followers of God get together in the same place at the same time with the common goal of worshiping God that something happens. There is power in that place. They were together and engaged in each other's lives. Community can't grow, can't thrive unless there are people here to make it grow. So show up. Be consistent. I said a couple weeks ago that there are times we go through seasons. We go through momentary troubles, as we read just a few minutes ago, where you're tired, and you're beaten up, and you're broken, and you showing up is just the bare minimum of what you can do. Okay, show up. Don't run and hide. It doesn't matter what kind of Saturday night you had. It doesn't matter what kind of Sunday morning you had. Be here. Show up and engage because the graces of gathering, the the graces of the gathering of God's people will bless you. Even in those seasons where you feel like you have nothing to give, okay, let the community give and serve you. When you think about all that we do on a Sunday morning, all of it is done intentionally as a way for us to have room, to make room in our lives. If even if only for an hour and a half on once a week to engage with God, to seek after him, to hear from him. We get together and we sing, and if you've been around CF for any amount of time, you know that when we worship, the songs that we sing, that Daniel is very particular about what we sing. He chooses songs that glorify God, lyrics that matter, lyrics that are grounded in Scripture. We're not playing the pop hits here. We're singing songs that have meat to them. It's intentional because we want that time to not be fluff. It's not just, okay, music starts, so it means I got an extra 5 minutes to walk into church late. No, we're here to worship and part of that is in what we sing and not only gathering to sing, but the words that we use, the words that are in those songs are intentionally chosen. And so we gather and we sing and then we pray. We pray multiple times throughout this season throughout this service for multiple reasons. We want to be in a habit of praying regularly. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. We read scripture a lot. There's a lot of Bible that is read when we gather together because we want to hear God's word over and over again and let it get seep into us. Every week when we gather together, we come to the table for communion. This tangible reminder of the love and grace of God shown to us through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So even in those seasons of your life where you feel like I, I got nothing to offer, I have nothing to give, show up on a Sunday. Because the graces that are built into what we do on a Sunday, that's going to do a work in you and that's going to do a work for you. Now lots of people have lots of different answers to the question, what is the point of a Sunday worship service? And I don't think there's any one specific answer. I think it's a multifaceted answer because on one hand you have the edification of the saints, the building up, the strengthening, the encouraging of God's people. Yes, that's part of why we gather together. You also have the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place. And that's not only for the saints, not only for the believers, though it is for them because we need to constantly re-remind ourselves, rediscover the gospel and remember the grace that we are in so desperate need of. But for those who don't know Christ and don't know that there's hope and grace and mercy to be had, yes, that's another part of why we do what we do. The remembering and celebrating of God's gift to us in salvation through Christ at the cross in the form of communion, that's part of why we do this. The ability to serve one another, to grow and stretch in our ability and learning where our spiritual gifts are, where God has made us, and how we can serve one another, that's part of why we gather. The chance to offer to God in a form of worship, in giving financially, that's part of why we gather. All of these things are built into why we do what we do. Don't neglect to gather with the saints because you will be blessed if you show up. And you have the chance to be a blessing to others because your presence will bless others. God made you specifically put you in this place, in this location, and called you to this church for a reason. Even if you're a guest and it's just one time you come, there's a reason you're here. I bring us back to this verse often, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What would it look like? What would it do to our Sunday service? What would it do to us as individuals if we thought about Sunday morning and it wasn't just about you or what you can get out of? It? I mean, that's part of what we do on Sunday. Like I said, the edification, the building up of the saints. We come together to hear God's word, to sing God's word, to pray God's word, to take communion. And it's to strengthen us so that we can go in and do battle in a a dark, hard world to live. Yes. Amen. But what if we saw Sunday as an opportunity for God to use us in somebody else's life? Because that is how we're supposed to see all of our week, right? All of our lives as God's people, especially when we gather together. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, meaning there are moments, conversations, situations and opportunities for us to step into that God prepared ahead of time. Way back when there was nothing, when it was just Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he knew how this would play out and he has been orchestrating and working all things to happen so that you show up five minutes early on a random Sunday and have that conversation with the person who's just barely hanging on and you encourage them. He orchestrated all things throughout all time, so that you could come and serve and teach a five-year-old that God knows them and loves them and call them to have a relationship with God. He orchestrated all things so that you could be in this place in a specific moment to have a specific conversation, a specific interaction, a specific prayer. God put those things in order and has orchestrated all of creation to get you to those moments. There are no accidents or happenstance or dumb luck this is all planned. God has a plan and purpose for you. Who you are and what you do matters and has eternal ramifications to it. But those ma- moments can't happen if you don't show up. We will not neglect to meet together. Can you commit to that? Second statement in this document is that we will love one another indeed and in truth. That one's found in 1 John 3.18. Again, I want to give you a little bit of context for this word, uh, this verse. So starting in verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Are you a generous person? Are you a giving person? Chances are you won't have the opportunity to sacrifice your life for another person. But true love is not just limited to supreme sacrifices, but rather they can show up in the lesser ones. And as a community, we should seek out those tangible ways to love one another. If you are a Christian, the natural byproduct of your faith should be love for other Christians so then my question to you this morning if this is your home church if this is your regular tender do you love the people of this church that's easy to hear that question do you love other Christians and say yeah of course I do but as my math teacher in grammar school Mr. Chohan would say over and over again you got to show your work we studied James this year and over and over, James pointed us back and said, where's the proof? Where's Show us the work. Is there proof that you have actually, tangibly taken steps to show love? Real, genist, genuine, honest, earnest love. Love that strained and stretched you. Not because of a program or an event that the church was putting on, but rather just because you are called to love because you were first loved by God. We have people in our congregation in and out of hospitals. Have you called them? Have you checked on them? See how they're doing. We just, this week, had our second baby brought into the community in as many months. Uh, baby Booker, uh, Booker Flick, Austin uh, Reed, and Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth had the baby on Thursday. Everybody's healthy and happy. I think they're coming home this weekend. Um, baby Booker just got born. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We got two babies in two months. And we got more coming before the year's out. Perfect opportunity to tangibly love these families in our church with food and prayer and probably a lot of coffee. As the weather turns, we got leaves falling. Snow is going to be here in a minute. Can you be helpful with others in our community with cleaning things up for them? We're still praying for Roscoe Village. How about grabbing some door hangers, putting a dent on that map in the hallway, praying with one another? How many times have you heard requests On a Sunday morning, that different ministries need help, that we're constantly looking for people to join in on different ministries, have you responded? See, loving one another has to go beyond just words, beyond just talk and action. And I bring these things up to show you there are tangible needs within our community. In 1 John 3, John is writing to a group of Christians, not just leaders. He's not writing just to the pastors and elders. He's not just saying, hey, leaders, fix all the problems, fix all the issues. He says, Christians, love one another. Take care of one another. There are tangible needs in our community. You guys are much more creative than I am. You can come up with other ideas and other ways to serve one another. That's why community groups are so important, because it's a place to learn about what is going on with one another and gives the church a chance to come together and take care of one another. Look, I love talking about theology and studying scripture. I love to brainstorm and dream about the things that this church can be doing and and try different things. I love getting together on Sunday mornings. It gives me life. It fills me up to be with you all. But if all we ever do is talk, about grace and talk about mercy and talk about love and we never actually show it if we refuse to practice these things here amongst each other where it's a safe space where it's a comfortable space where there is a built-in grace because we have the love of christ for one another how in the world are we going to do these things out outside of the church in a place that is Countercultural to us hates us at its worst is indifferent to us at its best if we can't do that for one another how are we going to do it out there Pastor John Stott said, It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Jesus said in John 16, People will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those outside of the church will know you are a follower of Jesus by the way we love and treat other Christians. The Beatles famously said you can't buy me love. They were right. Can't buy love. It doesn't mean love doesn't cost though, right? Because love does cost. Love costs energy, it costs time, it costs investment and emotion. The love that Christians are to show and to have for one another is intentional. It is passionate, real, honest, unconditional kind of love. That's what is to make itself known in our midst. Because love shows up. Love is a verb. It is an action. It is not just a fuzzy feeling or attraction or thought of goodwill toward one another, but rather it is put into action. Sincere, brotherly love that is earnest and pure. That is what Christian love and Christian community is supposed to be and grounded in. If you need to see what is the exact opposite of this. Okay, I'm supposed to love in community, earnest and pure, and build one another up. What is the exact opposite of that so I know not to do that? Just open up social media, exact opposite of what we're supposed to be. The love that the church is supposed to have for one another is big and strong it is hard and complicated it strains and it stretches but this is the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins this is the kind of love that most adequately expresses the grace mercy and love that we ourselves were shown by God through Jesus at the cross if you are a member of this church if you're looking to be a member of this church one of the things we commit to is that we say we will love one another indeed and in truth Is that something you can commit to? Statement number three is that we will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. This one comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 7. See, every believer is given not only the Holy Spirit in them and with them, but along with the presence of the Holy Spirit comes gifts, spiritual gifts. And there's a long paragraph, a long section about it that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The receiving of spiritual gifts is not just to show off. It is to build up one another. Spiritual gifts are given to believers as a way to do exactly what we've been talking about here this morning, is to build up fellow believers and call non-Christians to Christ. Like all of the rest of our relationship with God, your spiritual gifting is designed ultimately that you might give glory and honor to God as he works in miraculous ways through you. Like I said, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, wanting the readers to not be ignorant concerning the important and powerful ways that you have the opportunity to honor God. If you are a believer, if you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, If you have received the Holy Spirit, you have also received a spiritual gift. You have one. If you are a believer, you have a spiritual gift. You might even have two or three. And all of the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 are given to encourage and or to evangelize. There is no hierarchy. No one gift is better than another. It's not order of importance. But rather, there's a variety of them mentioned in this passage because when all of them are used together as the community as a whole, the community is strengthened and built up. He lists them off, he says, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, gift of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. And if you skip down to verse 11, he says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us in different ways, but all of this comes from the same spirit with the goal and desire to see us use our gifts for the common good of the community and to glorify God. Again, this comes back to being together. These things are all about relating to one another. We have to be engaging with each other in order to have the opportunities to use those gifts that God has given us. As a member of CF, you are intentionally committing to using the Spirit's gifts that you have received for the common good. And you might say, I have no idea what my spiritual gift is. Let's talk about it. There are ways to pursue and look into what we think that is and and. The, one of the best ways is just start trying stuff. Start walking into stuff and see, does God have this? Go in and pray and say, God, show me what how it is that you have gifted me and blessed me. And start serving in the community. And as you do that, as you engage with him, as he reveals himself to you, he will reveal that to you and show you those places. But we have to actively, intentionally get involved in that. Fourth statement in this document says that we will give cheerfully and generously. That one comes from 2 Corinthians Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. CF is supported by the giving of its members, regular attenders, and yes, the, the ability to do ministry, to pay bills, to give to missionaries, to pay salaries. This happens as a result of the generosity of this church. And so let me say thank you. Thank you for being intentional to give and support this place. Thank you for loving this church and trusting God with your finances and trusting us that we would be good stewards to use those things to further the mission of this church to spread the gospel in this place. God has continuously been kind and blessed us so that even in days and times throughout our history when things have been tight, he has shown up and made a way for this church to continue in this neighborhood to continue proclaiming God. And the Bible talks a lot about money. What's the best way to spend it? How to save? How to give? There's a lot of instruction in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there was an instruction given to the Israelites that was part of the law to give a tenth of what they had harvested. The first tenth of what they had harvested of their land as a way to celebrate and thank God for the ways he had provided for them. It was an act of worship that they were to give of this. It's where we get the idea of tithing, a tenth. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to being generous, it goes deeper than that for God's people. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord from your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. See, the plan was always for God's people to be generous. The tithing system was put in place to help give them some training. To show people here, look, you can live on 90% of what you have harvested, of what you have, and you'll be okay. And it was to train people, hey, I, I made it on 90%, maybe, maybe I'll be okay on 85 Maybe I can give away a little bit more. Maybe I can even live off of 75 and give away a little bit more. It was training wheels for generosity was tithing. It was a chance to learn to trust God. We trust God with our eternal lives. We can trust him with our bank accounts. Now, look, this is not a, if you give, God is going to give you double back your money. It's it's not that God is a slot machine, right? You've heard this analogy. It's not that you give your money, you put your money in the slot machine, you pull the lever or you press the button and God's going to bless you and give. So you give so that God will give to you. Sometimes, yes, God will bless us financially really when scripture talks about god blessing us god taking care of us god responding to our blessing god responding to our giving his blessings supersede our earthly desires and really when it talks about god blessing us it gets to the heart and it gets beyond just what we need here god knows what we need here and will take care of those things god's blessing supersedes our earthly desires it gets to the heart and His blessings are grounded in the things that we need to be able to rest, the things that we need to satisfy our soul. We are to give not out of compulsion or duty or some type of spiritual manipulation of God that's not going to work. We are to give joyfully and generously in response to the blessings our God has provided for us. Because our God is generous, we are called to be generous. It gives us the chance to take stock of our lives, to examine and rejoice in what God has done, to give so that he might get the glory and ultimately grow our faith in knowing he's going to continue to provide, that we can be generous, that we can give and know that God's going to take care of us. As members of CF, we commit to giving cheerfully and generously. Is that something you can commit to as a member statement number five, the last one we're going to look at this morning is that we will pray together and for one another. Prayer is a gift. It is an opportunity to go to God on on behalf of ourselves, each other, strangers, to lift up the burdens and concerns and joys and frustrations and questions we have and be able to go to the maker and sustainer of all existence. And he hears us and he pays attention He cares. It matters to him. We matter to him. God has given prayer to us as a gift. In 2 Chronicles, we read about Solomon overseeing the temple construction, this permanent fixture of worship for God's people. After years of traveling tents and being stuck in the desert, they would finally have a set plan and a set place to come and engage with God and worship him. once the temple was built once it was finished god appeared to solomon to affirm the work that had been done they tell solomon i this is this is my dwelling place this is where i am you want to engage with me you want to worship me you want to hear from me this is where i will be they tell solomon the time that when times of hardship come or times of discipline come god says in second chronicles in 7 14 he says if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. He tells Solomon, if the people, if the Israelites will come with genuine concern, genuine prayer, humble and full of faith, God promised to hear those prayers to pay attention and respond beautiful thing for us is that we don't have to go to jerusalem we don't have to go to any one specific place we are no longer limited to the temple no longer limited to one place but rather because of christ because of the outpouring of the holy spirit in us when god's people will worship in spirit and in truth it doesn't matter where you are if you come humble if you come trusting if you come and believe that god is who he says he is and can do greater things than you would even possibly imagine and he will do what he promises to do and we will come and we will lift those prayers up together that scripture says is a sweet aroma to god it is pleasing to god when we do that and as we've seen over and over with every aspect we've talked about in this church covenant this is about the community coming together in unity jesus spoke about the power of presence together in matthew 18 I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Christ promises that when his, father, his followers are united in prayer and praying in line with the will of God, those prayers are received. Those prayers are heard. And when God's people pray together, there is a power in that presence. James 5 says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. How much more power is there when God's people come together and join together in prayer? We have the right, we have the blessing, and we have the duty and responsibility and honor to pray for others, to pray for one another. Don't stop praying for CF. Don't leave someone off your prayer list because they seem like they got it all together. there's not some obvious trouble pray for those people pray that they would have peace pray for your neighbors pray for your co-workers pray for your strangers pray for peace for shalom of god shalom the peace not just peace like the absence of war but the god will willingly and intentionally bless them it is a great prayer for when we are praying for roscoe village Praying for peace with God for our neighbors, which is only found through putting their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have been given as God's family, as God's sons and daughters, the access to God, the God of all existence. We should use that gift by being a people committed to praying for one another, for our city, for strangers, to be a people who pray. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.18 that we are to be praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. God's people, he says, pay attention. Pay attention, stay alert. And as you are paying attention, staying alert and observing the world around you and engaging with the world around you, you will have no shortage of things to pray for. So do it. I got a great opportunity for you. This Friday at 7 o'clock, there is a group of people who will be here praying. Come and spend time in prayer together. We as a church commit that we will pray together and for one another. Is that something you can commit to? If you're going to join us this afternoon for our joint service at 430, 1401 Oak Avenue in Evanston, you guys should come. If you come tonight, you're going to hear me talk about Psalm 133. Talks about unity. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The psalm talks about the extravagant, refreshing blessing of unity among God's people. That when God's people gather together in unity, there is a joy to celebrate and enjoy. Unity among God's people is why most of the New Testament is written. Many of the letters of the New Testament have to do with how the church can best seek out and live in unity together. Right, The early church is comprised of Jewish converts and Gentile converts so you have people who grew up under the law people who grew up in Judaism knew the Torah backwards and forwards followed the law had all of these dietary living restrictions all of these things that over time became almost an idol to them because they were so focused on trying to check all the boxes they missed the heart of what God was calling them to but they had order they had structure it filtered into their whole lives it wasn't just the thing they did once a week it was who they were they were god's people and they followed the law and on the other side you have the gentiles you have pagans you have people that either have backgrounds with absolutely no idea of anything that has to do with god or if they do it's idol pagan worship that usually had to do with prostitution self-harm and using money to try and buy your way into temple prestige And these two very different groups of people who at times hated each other, would have horrible, horrible ways of referring to one another, would walk and and travel in paths where a direct line would get you somewhere in three days, but I don't want to walk around those, I don't want to be around those Gentiles, so my trip instead is going to take me 12 days, just so I don't have to deal with them. These two groups of people have to come together and figure out, all right, now you're the church, figure out how to glorify God in the way you interact. No wonder we have the New Testament. Because Paul is writing and saying, look, this is, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some time. Most of the letters in the New Testament are encouraging them, look, trust what you know to be true. Trust the gospel. Trust the good news. Trust the thing that brought you together in the first place, and from that will flow unity. Trust the reality that Christ came to die on a cross and save you from your sins, regardless of who you are, what your background is. And that still holds true today. If we are people who individually live like we believe and trust the gospel, it will change the way we engage with one another. As we said two weeks ago, it is the grace of God that we have received, which is the foundation and binding agent for the church to function. It is grace and love that allows us to be a church. The things we've talked about, if they are not saturated with grace and love for one another, it's not going to work. We won't work. If we're just showing up, just going through the motions and never looking to actually serve or be a blessing or receive from God, we are missing the point completely and all we are doing is lifeless actions that mean nothing to anyone. No, grace and love, the grace and love that we find in the gospel, the unconditional love that we have received from Christ, that has to be the driving motivator for what we do. Grace and love has to be the thing that covers all that we do because it will allow us to pursue these things. We're going to do it imperfectly. We're going to step on each other's toes. If we are being a community and actually engaging with one another, we're going to drive each other a little nuts. We're going to do this thing imperfectly, but we will do it honestly and openly and humbly and together. If we allow ourselves to be driven by the gospel, if we allow ourselves to filter every thought, every action, every interaction by the gospel and the reality that we have been saved from our sins and that we have the chance because we have been loved to show love because we have received grace to show grace because we know what God's mercy tastes like. We can give it to others with our eyes fixed not on ourselves, not on each other, with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is how we will go together, glorifying God as we walk together as a church. My prayer continually, regularly for us, is that we would find our unity and our community by together running our race, living our lives, doing this together with our eyes fixed on Christ, remembering, rediscovering daily the good news that Jesus, that God made you and knows you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. Let that reality affect and change the way that we interact with one another. Let's pray. Jesus, you told us the world will know us by the way we love one another. Be able to identify us by the way we love one another. It's so easy, God, to get caught up in tribalism and get caught up in the things that separate, the things that differentiate us. It's easy to focus on the negatives and the ways that we are different. But what is the same amongst all of us is that we have been saved by grace through faith. That you met us at our weakest, at our worst, that you met us and called us to yourself. And you showed us there is grace to be had, hope to be had, forgiveness to be had through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. God, let that foundation, let that be the thing that binds us together. Let that be the thing that keeps us living stones connected to one another. God, we are imperfect people. It is messy when One or two Christians are together, let alone a whole community of them. We're going to get things wrong. We're going to do things imperfectly. God, help us to have grace for ourselves and grace for one another. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the generations of people who have been faithful to the gospel here. I thank you for the men and women's shoulders that we stand on now they were committed to seeing the gospel go forward. They were committed to living like the gospel matters today because the gospel matters today. God, as we reflect and we think about who we are and what we believe and who we are striving to be, as we think about these things, about making gathering a priority and giving and serving and engaging with one another, God, it can be exhausting at times sweetness of the unity, the joy of gathering with your people and getting to share life together, getting to engage with one another. God, it is a blessing and gift that you have given us. Let us not take it for granted, but earnestly and actively and intentionally strive to build this community, to grow and deepen this community. God, give us more and more of a hunger and thirst for you, a desire to know you more and know you deeper, because as we do that, as we know you deeper and deeper and more and more, that's going to flow out into who we are as a church. God, we thank you for community. We thank you for giving us this place, for for giving us an opportunity to gather and worship you. God, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do in our midst. We thank you and praise you. Amen.